you're listening to the Tech Talk Show. Hi there, my name is Sue Nelson and uh, this is the Tech Talk Show. We're going to be talking about all things tech for the next hour. I'm joined by my fellow presenter, Paul Armstrong, who's author of Disruptive Technologies. Hello, Paul. Hello, Sue. How's it going? I'm surrounded by men today. It's not a single girly in their studio. Just us chaps. Life choices. <laughs> Life choices, <laughs> yes. And that's because today I am joined by Ian Napier of Switchy, David Rain of Early Life Technologies and Tim Sadler of Tessian. So it's all boys. Great. Let's get to it. <laughs> Let's get to it. Right. So um, I think we're going to start today with Tim from Tessian. You've just had a recent name change, haven't you, for your company? That's correct. Um, we have changed from Czech recipient to Tessian. That's something we've been working on for a while. Uh, that's right. So Czech recipient, as it used to be, and now Tessian, you use artificial intelligence and machine learning to analyse historical email data. Have I got that right? Yes. I have. And the reason for this is cybersecurity, as we all know, is a big issue. So everybody's, you know, looking at behaviours and modelling things and looking at systems and trying to design things out so that you can't make mistakes and trying to design things in so people can't breach your security. But one of the key things that we're all, and we've all done it, you send out an email to the wrong person with confidential information attached and there's that horrible, horrible moment where you just almost go white because you realise what you've done. And it's the human error of that which which hasn't really been tackled before. Mm. Have you ever done that, Paul? Uh, yes, <laughs> several times. Um, and I'm very thankful that Google has uh, implemented a pause policy and all that jazz. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I've mm. sent... When I worked at agencies as well, it was very, very dodgy. Yeah. It's sackable, isn't it? Because you've made it. Yeah, a, absolutely. But, 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 I mean, we're all human, so it's... it's a, all human. We've all done it. But yeah. It, but it's some of those things that you can go like... <gasps> And imagine if you're a banker or someone like that, market oh, moving, you yeah, know. All, all, all sorts. So, so it, it's the email side of it that you're, you're interested in, isn't it? Yeah, so we think of email as the main artery of communication for most enterprises. Uh, yeah, and actually uh, misaddressed emails are one of the main data security incidents reported to the UK regulator. So there's this uh, fascinating thing as humans, we're really, um, we're scared of things like uh, getting on an, an aeroplane but actually we don't think twice when we drive our car to work, even though it's the most dangerous thing we'll mm. probably do. Um, and actually email is a little bit like that. Um, we often fixate on, we think about hackers breaking into our systems to steal our data. Um, actually, the it's far more likely you're going to have an in inadvertent data breach just through somebody sending something to the wrong person purely purely by accident. And the problem with email, of course, is it's just it's just so easy and and... You can react, you know, I, I had a, I've had a nasty email uh, today, actually, from somebody <laughs> in terms of a client who's n not very nice, um, and it happens to us all, and, 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 and said some stuff which I really, really take exception to. Of course, the best thing to do is not reply immediately, isn't mm. it? Because you're yeah, just going to, you're, you're going to cross or, or whatever, and we've all been there. Um, but it is so easy to do and so instant, and therefore that's the that's the danger, isn't it? Yeah, I think um, I think there are a lot of challenges with email, um, 
But actually, one of the reasons why it's so great is it's this uh, platform that has been around for so long, it's ubiquitous. Um, and actually, it's an open gateway. So I can communicate with anybody, I could, you know, I could email anybody in this room, anything without restriction. Um, and that's great, because it allows me to connect with you. Um, and uh, it's really bad, because it allows me to email anything to anyone. And then when I've sent it to you, uh, I can't get it back. So if I um, have second thoughts or actually I've sent you something in error, um, that, that, you know, that lies with you. And I think that for a lot of people, uh, this is, uh, you know, mildly embarrassing at, at best, but actually the, uh, the organizations we sell to are law firms, hedge funds, investment banks, dealing with the, the most sensitive information in the world. Often. And the problem with email, of course, is you, you type out somebody's name, so it's, let's say it's Steve at, and of mm -hmm. course you get all these, you know, things come up because it's, it's you know predicting what you're going to tie and it's so easy then you see it's, it's so easy to actually have the wrong steve that you've just sent all your company accounts to yeah yeah <laughs> i mean yeah. And, and so so what you're saying is that is really the, the the weak spot in 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 most of our businesses i think <clears throat> there are a number of weak spots but mm. actually yeah I'd, I'd say if you're an organization worried about keeping data secure this is one of the main things that you should address and actually it's a really good point you raise with um, things like autocomplete which are introduced yeah. to offer convenience for us they often make things less secure so at Tessian what we're you know we see the future of security uh, actually being something that has to create a best in class user experience and um, you can't have a security product that uh, ruins somebody's experience of, say, sending email, right? So turning off autocomplete is just not a viable option in terms of productivity loss um, and then also impact the end user. Um, and you've got to try and create something that um, does as much as it can in the background so that people don't have to retrain their behavior or, you know, oh, every time I send an email, I must do this, this and this. Because they won't do it, will Exactly. They? <clears throat> so, um, and that's why we use machine learning to, to achieve that. And I think the thing with cybersecurity is that people assume that uh, a breach of security is because somebody's willfully trying to damage your company. Mm. And of course, this isn't willful behavior. It's just a mistake. Um, and, and, and that's why we probably don't think about it as a business. You, you know, how do I, how do I, you know, how do I protect myself against that weakness? I mean, it's not an obvious thing, is it, Paul? No, I, I definitely think people don't think about it. Give me some context around the bigger, the problems that you're trying to fix. Because a lot of people are like, yeah, I send an email, but I don't send the company finance. Give me an example of what your clients are suffering because of this? Yeah, <clears throat> I'm going to talk in general terms just about the problem. But um, in May this year, something gets introduced called GDPR. Um, and that will dramatically increase the uh, obligations that are placed on any organization dealing with personally identifiable information. And at the same time, it also uh, increases the consequences if you get, you know, if you get something wrong. Um, so a simple example would be if you are a um, if you're a company, if you're a technology company and you have a list of all of your customers um, and then you have a list of the directors of those customers and their personal, uh, you know, their address or their personal email address, etc. That is something that is, you know, is covered under this uh, under this remit. And you might say, well, you know, that's not super sensitive and, you know, I'd be inclined to agree. But if you think about, say, a health healthcare organization dealing with medical records mm -hmm. or a law firm dealing with um, details about a criminal case that's taking place or a barrister, for example. And actually, most organizations have got a kind of epicenter of really, really sensitive 
um, personal data. And then there's also the commercial aspect as well, which is there may not be personal information, but it could be information that's damaging or will do reputational damage mm. to your company. But actually, as a company, um, we we now solve much more than just misaddressed emails. Um, but that has always been our you know flagship point of entry for, for okay, helping. Okay, so so misaddressed is if, if we take that aspect of what you do. Um, so in essence, what's happening is somebody's making a mistake because they're sending information, which is all absolutely fine if it was the right recipient. Unfortunately, it's the wrong recipient. So how does your system detect that? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, so I think a good analogy is thinking about um, fraud detection systems in, uh, you know, that credit card companies use. Um, and if you want to detect fraud in, in credit card uh, spending, you look at normal spending patterns and behavior, right? So you look at um, people normally spend five pounds at a Pret every lunchtime, uh, but they don't normally spend five thousand pounds at an Apple store in, you know, in Russia, for example, on a, on a Tuesday at this time. Um, and it's similar to, to what our platform does in terms of Rather than spending patterns, it's sending patterns. So we're looking at, at who do you normally communicate with, about what, when, etc. Um, and then all of that forms, uh, it allows us to then make predictions to say, well, you know, Sue, it's unusual that you're emailing Paul about this particular topic, but actually... So you'd profile somebody, is essentially, in, in the first instance, get a really good profile of their activity, the sorts of things they do, who they you know, what times a day, the, the things they send uh, and and to who. And that would give you a profile. And then you would detect if there was a blip against the norm, in, in essence. It's sort of like that. We don't we don't actually keep a profile of an individual. Um, but what we're doing is the system I, I, is... I, I think I meant their activity as opposed to that person. Yeah, no, no, of course. So mm. it, it's kind of exactly, it's, it's statistically what's normal and then what's abnormal. And then by looking at the abnormalities, you can then drill down and say, okay, well, what's unusual about this? So something that our platform does is is trying to explain to the person why something might be unusual. Um, and, you know, something that's unusual, for example, is uh, it could be an unusual time of day that you're emailing Paul uh, and you don't normally send him, you know, don't where normally do I sign up? <laughs> <laughs> you don't, <laughs> don't normally talk to him at all. Yeah. <laughs> if I can help it. But, but say, I, you know, I suddenly send, I don't know, a batch of holiday photos, uh, images to, to Paul, you know, at two o'clock in the morning, which is not what I'd normally do. Your system would pick that up. What, what would the system do then? Would it just stop it from being sent or, or, or would it go, are you sure you want to do this soon? Yeah, it's, it's essentially both of those things. So we catch the, catch the email before it's sent um, and then we actually provide you with a notification. So we give you some information, we might say, uh, it looks unusual that you're sending, I don't know, 100 megabytes of attachments to Paul at 2 a.m. Uh, do you still want to send this email? Um, and actually, if we think that there's somebody who is more likely, you know, who, who's a better fit for that email, then we'll also try and suggest them as well. Um, so, yeah, does it does a couple of things. Yeah. yeah. What's your thoughts on that, Paul? Uh, well, I would like to uh, officially request that doesn't happen from you if that's yeah, no, I think um, so. I saw you uh, wired when you won the award for uh, the startup of the. I can't remember if it was the conference or the year. I can't remember. Um, congratulations on that. Thank you very um, much. And so I I wrote about that for Forbes and that sort of thing. And one of the things that sort of um, I started to think about security and that sort of thing was like I'm very interested in how the future platforms are going to deal with this because email is was 
you know, the platform of um, work and that sort of stuff. But increasingly, we start to see things like Facebook at work, Slack and that sort of thing. How are you gearing up for the future for those? Yeah, we um, we think about this a lot as well. Um, and I think it's uh, it's a really, really big challenge now. Uh, I think those platforms actually exacerbate the challenge. So as you've rightly identified, it's not um, it's not just necessarily about email and how you share emails or, or attachments on email, but it could be how do you share a document? Are you uploading it to Dropbox? Are you sending it to somebody via Slack? Mm. Um, so, you know, without giving too much away that is something that we're thinking about quite a lot and we're working on it what we're trying to use is again that um understanding of how um how people normally um you know normally communicate Mm. with one another uh to then try and address these these challenges as well and i think someone asked you a very difficult question which wasn't me but um do you so effectively you're looking for abnormal patterns of behavior right uh yeah yeah brilliant so the argument is what are the indicators that someone's trying to defraud you or like, uh, you know, mess your company up and that sort of thing that people should be looking out for if they're unlucky enough not to use your service? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I think that touches on another point. So um, uh, so just in short, email is a, is a really, really big security risk for any organization. We think about it in terms of inbound, uh, inbound threats and then outbound threats. We deal with outbound threats like misaddressed emails. We also now deal with um, data loss on on email. Um, And we're about to release our first product that looks at inbound threats. But um, as you say, Paul, you know, inbound emails that claim, well, ask you to do things like please send money to this account. Yeah. I mean, the growing challenge now is that that isn't a badly worded um, you know, the badly worded email about, um, you know, a prince who really needs, you know, right, you, yeah. you've inherited all this fortune. Actually, they're extremely convincing spear phishing emails that are mimicking the identity of somebody internally. I think generally uh, anything that comes to your inbox and, um, you know, well, it doesn't always look unusual, but I think it just takes, you know, anything that requires an action like that, you should double, triple check, yeah. uh, especially if you're transferring funds, you know, <coughs> give the person a call who's supposedly asking you to do this we had someone on to talk about that didn't we that they got a hundred grand out of someone because they wouldn't ask the ceo a question (laughs) worth a hundred grand so (laughs) i think common sense and email also comes Mm. into play yeah brilliant so so david you uh you've worked for all sorts of companies you know um uh, as a consultant you know in sort of ba systems and jp morgan what what do you think about the email thing it is it is the weakest link isn't it absolutely um we see this a lot i mean you, you you didn't uh, mentioned explicitly but i think that uh, implicit in this is that somebody doesn't understand the data that they're dealing with mm. uh, so we we deal with care companies and for them you know the details about mrs miggins they just need to know about mrs miggins and they don't think mrs miggins details are private to her and you in the company don't um don't let that information get out and they don't think like that we often get uh, emails saying um could you reset my password to this or here's my username and password i've got a problem with such and such and then we have to write back to them and say Please now change your password. Don't tell us your password. We can help look into the problem. But they, to them, it's just, I think I think the difference between people in, in the industry we cater for and somebody like a bank, for example, where I've also worked, is that in banks there is lots of training on this sort of thing. Mm. And in care companies there isn't. It's all about how to deliver care. And that other stuff is just not really thought about anywhere near as much as it should mm. be. And, and you're, you've been in finance companies as well, haven't you? Yes, uh, um, I have. Have you, have you ever done anything silly with your email? I've done it loads of times. <laughs> <laughs> accidentally sent something to my mum or something and I shouldn't have done but but I mean it's an easy thing to do isn't it I, I think we've all done it yes yeah. um luckily I was 
sufficiently junior at the time for, to, to not cause the collapse of the bank. But nonetheless, it was, was a bank. Oh, was it a bank? bank? Yeah, I started my career in a bank. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. yeah. That is but, uh, there was um, There was one incident, actually, when someone resigned and wrote quite a spiky email to everybody. Uh, to everybody. <laughs> and the, the word quickly went around the team is do not forward this email externally. Mm. But that's happening more and more. Yeah. You know, you've got earnings reports and everything like that. Silicon Valley is now known for that sort of stuff. Yeah. And um, someone recently with a snap, no, Instagram, that was it. Instagram party <coughs> that went on and that sort of stuff. They had a um, big blurb beforehand and then obviously someone accidentally Snapchatted in out of it. So yeah. right. it was quite an interesting, um, you know, way that we are moving into that sort of like how else era do we get information out? But Ian, you're from, um, you know, taking David's point, you're from the finance sector. So they're pretty good at handling that because they're used to it. It's the sectors where, I don't know, people maybe work in charities or, you know, just service sector and, and allow their staff to have quite a lot of control control over what they do that's a different thing isn't it yeah absolutely i mean as i was listening to to david's comments just now and it occurred that i'd completely echo those so our our business serves social housing so we work with housing associations and mm. local authorities um previous to that i was in finance where as you say we had huge amounts of training and internal systems that are designed to prevent um missteps or miss miss clicks happening um uh, working with housing associations in particular where we're kind of focused at the moment there is some very good practice, but there's a there's also a, a quite a large spectrum in how these organisations think about these kind of problems. Mm. So, um, if anybody's interested in doing this, I think we might have to do it at work, <laughs> actually, um, because there is a balance between allowing people freedom to do their job and, and being overly prescriptive. But 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 it is it is a you know it's a real issue. Um, it's, it's, a good, uh, it's a good sense check to have, though, isn't it? it? Is, if a computer can take away that idiocy exactly. level, yeah. then, you know, we can yeah. forwardly hit that, push that into the new areas. <laughs> so, so they need to pop on to tessian.com, have I got that right? That's exactly correct, yeah. Tessian.com, and uh, you can chat with our team. We can tell you a bit more. Mm-hmm. And, and any business can sort of, sort of is, is it some software or is it how do they, how do they interact with you? Yeah, so we have uh, we have a number of different deployment options, but yeah, it's essentially software that integrates with every existing email client. So you don't need to change how you normally send emails or you know what you normally. So you send just carry through. on working as usual, and this this operates in the background. That's correct. Invisibly. Mm, mm, yeah, very good. Um, I also know Tim that you're part of Hot Zero and Cyber London. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you just tell us a little bit about these and and and. Are you seeing some trends in cybersecurity or other areas that you're quite interested in at the moment? Yeah. Um, so Cyber London, or, or <coughs> for short, Cylon, uh, was a program that we were on um, in 2016. Uh, it was hugely, yeah, it was game changing for us. So we uh, we're now still in contact with the with the people that run that, and we go and um, we we have the opportunity to kind of mentor. Although we are, we're often learning a lot from the people who are kind of coming through now. Uh, as well. Um, But yeah, Cylon is a really important program. Um, I would encourage any early stage startup to think about applying to that program for the mentorship and training you get. Um, And same with Hut Zero as well. You don't need to have a company to apply to Hut Zero. But um, I think the trends we're seeing, I I think what's really, really interesting is um, security and cybersecurity has a challenge because you, you're, if you're a startup, you're a small company, trying to make a bigger company more secure. Um, and that kind of, you know, almost is a paradox. It doesn't, it doesn't quite fit. But it, what's really encouraging is seeing how many 
um, large organizations now are open and are making themselves able to work with small agile startups in order to use technology to, to you know improve their business and, and why is that is it because they they're, they're realizing that to innovate themselves is actually quite difficult and therefore you know there's some very there's some very small organizations that are doing some really innovative stuff and they can change and take stuff like that on really quickly and therefore let's let's have a chat with them because because it's a bit slow internally to develop things? I think in terms of internal development, even with the largest banks now, there's a general shift away from developing in-house and buying, uh, you know, buying in. That's just because, you know, it is a lot more complicated now, but also, uh, I guess, economically, it, you know, it just doesn't make sense. Um, and then the, you know, as, as people are shifting toward to the cloud and taking things off, off premise. Um, but the, I, I think the key point is that uh, innovation happens in, um, smaller teams of engineers and people working to solve very very specific problems um whereas you know i think everyone's had that nightmare experience working with the twenty thousand person organization who delivers a five-year consulting project that never never quite gets there or does what it says um so yeah i i think people are looking increasingly for um very direct solutions from teams that can move very quickly and the other thing is as well and I'd encourage anyone listening to this who works for a larger organization who's, who's maybe a bit of a startup skeptic. Um, you probably won't work with another organization who will work harder um, for their first 10 customers. So it's, it's a really great way as well to help, you know, if, if the big company sees an opportunity in the smaller company's product, the smaller company is going to work really hard to make sure that you uh, you get the benefit and love love using that. That's I'm a, sure that's, that's a good point, really, Paul, isn't mm. it? And are you seeing more and more as well, um, larger companies realising that internal innovation is quite hard and that they're actually starting to, to move out and scout much more? For, yeah, for I've written about this before as well, about how um, innovation and um, hubs internally are often just up against so much when it comes to actually delivering results that it's often better just to, like, not a badging exercise, but just say, these guys work for us, but they don't work with us, you know? Mm -hmm. They're going to help us, but they're going to do it outside these four walls. And some some violently disagree with that, you know? Unilever's had um, a lot of success with their um, startup ventures, but people, um, and Barclays, for example, but there are other people who are in bigger companies than those who absolutely just can't make it work. It's about culture, it's about when it was brought on, it's about how it was sold, and so much acts against it. It's unbelievable, but um, very important. It tends to get killed at birth often, because the risk is too great. Well, the investment's mm. too investment's great. Investment's too great, yeah, 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 for sure. No, but I, I, you've never had it easier to find those people and to find those mm. uh, skills and abilities that you need, but it's often how it's um, moulded together. That's the issue. Mm. They try and make it too rigid at the start, and it's kind of like got to be more um, organic with a lot of it yeah. to start with. So that's Cyber London, and I presume... Um, so it's, it's a sort of um, programme, isn't it? It's um, specifically for cyber security companies of tomorrow, and it's a three-month accelerator programme. Yes. That's correct, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, so I presume if you just Google Cyber London, you'll find it. Yeah, Google Cylon. Um, yeah, definitely, definitely. C-Y-L-O-N. Yeah, okay. that's good. We'll have that on our website, obviously. Um, well, thank you for that, Tim. Um, moving over to David... David, I know that you are actually a scrum master. Indeed. And an agile champion. Indeed. Obviously, we've got all the, um, you know, the uh, international rugby that's been taking place recently. That's nothing to do with that, is it? I'm afraid not. What is it? Well, in a way it is. So when it was originally conceived, um, I think that the example that the, uh, the authors of the first scrum paper uh, <laughs> used was, was rugby. 
uh, and they said, you know, you'd come together in a scrum and you, you kind of work in that small team and everybody's pulling together and everyone knows what they're doing and it's all tightly knit and blah, blah, blah. So the kind of the name kind of stuck. And I think there's a lot of names like Scrum Scrum Master sounds a ridiculous term, I think. It's, just, it's <laughs> you know, something on a ship. You've got to sing hearty songs as you're pulled together. And, yeah. Um, I always thought the scrums were quite dirty places in terms of little shenanigans going on they there. They don't know about the scrums you've right. been in. Eye, <laughs> eye poking and ear biting and all that sort of stuff. But it's not about that. It's about it's the team about on that. one side, isn't it? All, all, yeah. You know, um, really pushing together in the same direction and making something happen. That's right. So... So the the other part of the other part of this that I think is important to understand is is agile. So agile, you be agile. I am agile. He is agile. Scrum is a doing thing. I do Scrum. He does Scrum. And Scrum is a, an implementation of agile where you have your your two week iteration and at the beginning you all get together, talk about what needs to be done. You keep keeping close um, communication throughout. You have your daily stand up, which used to sometimes be called a scrum or a huddle. And you, you have that really as a, an organizing meeting for the day, because you, you all know what you're doing to some extent, but it's organizing, what are we going to do today to finish this work? Do that throughout your, your two weeks. And then at the end, you have a review where you look back on what you've done, and then a retrospective where you look back on how you did it, inspect and adapt. So, so this, is, this is a process, in yes. essence, to, to, to manage probably quite a complex project and making sure everybody knows what they're doing, where they're heading yes. uh, uh, and and making sure that team binds together. Yeah, and for a complex project, it works really well. It seems counterintuitive. You think, well, two weeks, you can't really do much in two weeks. Well, but you can. And over, uh, you know, something would take six years, six months or a year or whatever, you break that down into little chunks. And so we know what we're doing for those two, two weeks. We do those chunks. We show it. We like it. We do it some more of it. We don't like it. We change it. Um, and I think in, in the past, in some of the larger organisations, uh, like perhaps some of the banks, they've got to go, oh, I've got a three-year programme. I need to know what's going to happen. I need to know that it, when it's going to finish. And and that never never happens. With your two weeks, you can have a look. You can keep going until somebody says, right, we need to do something different. And then you can you can turn quickly. There's a chap called Craig Larman who says that it's all about being able to turn on a dime for a dime and change very quickly and it doesn't cost you a lot of money. You don't have lots of work in progress. It's all kind of what we've got at the end of the two weeks works. If you want to do something different, we can. And that's just chunking up things because let's face it, technology is getting more and more and more, and more complicated and more and more dimensions to it. And therefore, the, the, the essence of this is, is to try and chunk things up into, into, you know, understandable and and stuff that you can make progress on and see progress happening as as you move forward. Yes, and that progress is really from the the perspective of a customer rather than the technology. The technology. I think is very second is a secondary thing. Um, so if you go back ten years, the stuff we do today was just a dream ten years ago. And ten years ago, technology, although there's a lot of it about, we probably wouldn't be doing nowadays. But the features that people want and the ability to have something delivered and get something <coughs> working, that's that's what it's all about. So we take in some work from our our um, product owner who decides the course of the product, uh, and then we we work on that and whatever technology it is that we use. And sometimes we might have got a feature and we're just going to change the underlying technology. It's one of the things we're going through at the moment at work. We've used SQL uh, in the past and we're now moving to a more elastic NoSQL kind of uh, of structure for our data, which we think will have benefits in terms of performance and the ability to get at that data. Um, And kind of again, the the product owner is saying, well, it's not a technology thing. I want to be able to, and there's a a benefit to it. So it's to be able to do faster reporting, report on more things. Yeah, Um, because I do find that some some of these companies and some of these amazing entrepreneurs that we we find, they fall in love with the solution rather than the problem. So they get very very tied up in something that, that, that does something amazing, 
but actually nobody wants it or or it's quite difficult to see how you would apply it um yes. and you can get really excited about that and and you need somebody to say yeah that's great but how does it help the customer? How, you know, how's that going to get us we, anywhere? We spend a lot of our time helping people tell us the problem because often people come to you and go, I need a button here and a drop down there and then it'll do this and that's what I want. You go, okay, let's rewind. What, what are you trying to do? What, what is it that's causing you pain? And that takes quite a long time and we bounce backwards and forwards from the, the kind of problem to solution. But only really when we know the problem uh, is, it, is it really worth solving it because putting a whole load of new bits of function that people think they want uh, doesn't really solve problems in the long term. So we spend a lot of time working out really what it is that's, that's gone wrong somewhere or that's causing people pain. And I think that's the great thing with Tim's uh, uh, product, really, is the fact that it's, he's really honed in on what a, a, the problem is. And, and then the story is really easy to explain because everybody's Absolutely. got that. Everybody knows they've got that problem. And sometimes, Paul, we do see uh, on the show, we have some great people, but sometimes... They, they, they find it difficult to explain what they're doing. And I think sometimes that's because they're not explaining the problem. Oh, they're, or, they're explaining yeah. the solution more. Or that makes sense. they've identified something that isn't really a problem. That's the biggest one I sort of um, find. Uh, I can send you, and I won't attach pictures, uh, many <laughs> things on uh, email pitches where you could sum it up in one word what they do. Sorry, no, one sentence what they do. Mm. And then you could give them five sentences underneath why it shouldn't be fixed in the way that they've done or why it won't work or why it, what have you thought about these five things and you never hear back from them. Yeah, know, and so. I think that I think what people really need to do is we've got some great brains out there at the moment looking at technology. Mm. I'm really proud to be in the UK at the moment when we see some things going on. Yeah. You know, if you do want to get investors and you do or you want to do crowdfunding, you have got to get that right. Yeah. Um, as a, as opposed to try and sell the technology, actually explain the problem and then explain the solution. That's what's going to get you funding. Yeah. There's a load of could out there and not enough should. I think, um, mm. which is the thing, like, should you do, should you fix things? Should you fix them in that way? And that sort of stuff. There's a lot of technologies that are coming out now, which enable a lot of things. Artificial intelligence will be one of them. You know, when that fully gets born, that's going to be a massive, mm. massive seismic change out there um, when it becomes democratised and how and who and all of that sort of stuff. It's very interesting. At the moment, we're very much winging a prayer with um, artificial intelligence as to where it's going to go and who's pushing where and what they're publicly saying versus what they're privately doing. Um, we're, we're seeing a lot of the governments start to twitch and sort of understand like mm, regulation. Mm. Have we thought about that? They're like, we're nowhere close. We're nowhere close, and that sort of stuff. But we can't see into those companies. So that's where we're sort of. Yeah. That's where we're at, at the moment. Is we're starting to generate a bit more fear around these, which is not useful. No, but I again, you know, the use but, case and that yeah. sort of stuff. I've seen in. some dreadful articles recently in mainstream newspapers saying that you know, robots going to take over the world and we're yeah. all useless. You know, this is going to... Or artificial intelligence, people don't know what it is and therefore we've got all these, you know, software engineers who don't even understand their own algorithms. Yeah. We couldn't be more wrong. It's just, just a real scaremongering yeah. piece of intelligence. But that leads on nicely, though, David. You have identified a real problem that needs solving, haven't you, in your yes. Every Life Technologies company. So can you just explain what the actual problem is that you've identified yeah so uh, about three and a half years ago our ex-ceo is now our director one of our directors he um he owned and operated his own domiciliary care companies so that's ones where people come out to your home and visit you in the morning for an hour and then in the evening for an hour that kind of thing and he, he felt that he had three problems which were um management of risk so for example medication did mrs miggins get her insulin uh, have we given her two lots of insulin today whatever um 
are they actually delivering care? How can you prove that you're actually making a difference to somebody's, ha uh, somebody's life? And the third was around kind of general efficiency of, of people going backwards and forwards between people's homes and, and everything sort of being on paper. So somebody, for example, who, who was living at home and was struggling to care for themselves would have, would have somebody who's a visit. We read, although I don't know whether it's true, of course, um, that um, some poor, you know, domestic ancillary worker will go in there, has literally got 40 minutes with this with Mr. Brown, in which time they've got to mm -hmm. maybe wash him, uh, cook something, do this, do that, do the other, make sure he's got his medicines, and has to cram all that into that very small space of time. Then has to drive in a car three mm -hmm. miles down the road, and then do another one, then do another one. And therefore, the potential for making mistakes is, is, is quite high. That person's under pressure and probably not paid a lot either. All of that true, absolutely. Right. Uh, so what we hope to do is to help them with a, a care planning and management system that will make life easier for everybody so that when Mrs Miggins first comes along to the company, we can do an assessment on her um, and then that will help understand what her needs are. From that, we can define some outcomes that are pertinent to her. So, for example, she wants to feel um, still involved in the community. She wants to be independent in her home. She wants whatever. We've got a, a, a sensible list of those now, which we help our, our customers to, to understand. Because I think that's so, so that's not bit. just a checklist of you must have these in order to make sure you survive. It, it, it's there's a lot of preferences that you're asking people about yeah. as well. Yes. So uh, a lot of our newer customers, so we have to do quite a lot of consultancy with some of our newer customers because they're used to tasks. So you go in, you help me so we can get dressed, you help her with her medication, you help her make her lunch. But why are you doing that? What's the point? Well, the points are the outcomes that are important to her. It might be that she, she absolutely doesn't want you to help her get dressed because she still wants to feel that she's in control of yeah, her life. Right, yeah. uh, so that's, that's an important thing to have as an outcome. And that then gives a, a context to all of the tasks that we, we hope Mrs. Mick, you know, that we need to, to do for Mrs. Miggins in the context of what she really wants to achieve in terms of her personal well-being and care. Um, so yes, then we have, so we have a, 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 some tasks, some, sorry, outcomes, then we have tasks that build up to those outcomes so that we know that she is, uh, she, she, we are helping her achieve her, <coughs> her goals. Uh, and then those go into visits and, and, and then that helps the care workers who can go, okay, where am I? Tell Mrs. Miggins, let's have a look. I've never seen Mrs. Miggins before, but I can access her, her care plan. I can see notes from previous visits. I can see the tasks that need to be done. So, so what happened before the, the, yeah. you know, this sort of system that you did? How, how did it work then? Did they just turn up and, I mean... It was all very paper-based. So yeah. we might have had um, a care plan printed out and put into the home. Care plan in the home could be could be very comprehensive or often not um, because times are, are rushed. It would live there for 30 days or so and you'd have a, a, a mar chart, which is where her drugs were detailed. Perhaps that wasn't detailed correctly or it was out of date. Um, and that would just be left at that, that person's home. Yeah. It, it could be just be pinned up on the fridge or something. Yeah, you know, or whatever. lost. Or yes, lost. Or, yes. And, and it's somewhere in the house. And we'll probably make a note on the back of this envelope and then hope that, uh, that we find that next time for the, the, the care worker comes next time. Um, and yeah, there's, there's lots of problems with the, the regularity of changing that that uh, home level documentation and if something had to change in the office uh, sorry if the office knew that something had to change somebody would have to either drive out there that's, or use phone the care worker it's unbelievable isn't it unbelievably efficient and that yes. that was the system i mean i can't believe that mm. I, suppose, I suppose it i suppose it was and yeah some, i mean you know, still is yeah. I, I would say yeah in some rural areas that's probably absolutely what still happens you know well, in any areas, it's not even limited geographically to rural or in cities. It was, depends very much on the company. So, it, so I think a lot of the lot, lot of care companies they want to care for people. They're not necessarily experts in administration mm. and how, how how to run an, a, a very complicated operation with a whole bunch of people. 
you could have a couple of care workers, uh, care managers looking after an army of care workers, and there's a lot of churn there. They, they come and join, they move on, um, and they, in, in turn, are managing possibly, well, certainly tens, if not a few hundred um, people who need care. So you've got a very small bit at the top of a couple of people, and then it's like having to manage an army of uh, people needing care. And yet I presume that people in general, and of course I am generalising, want to stay in their own home for as long as possible. Yeah. Um, um, and obviously families uh, want to know that, that, that they're okay and that, that, that they, they are getting the right support, because often it's difficult for them to, to provide that themselves, you know, every day, 24 hours a day. Absolutely. And and it could be for geographical reasons there that the, the son or daughter has moved away from home. Um, but what we, one of the things we've recently, as, as in the last year, we've provided is a, is a service called Open Pass, which enables friends and family to see the care that's being delivered to to um, to a care receiver. Uh, so they log on via an app, or they can do it via web, and they can see the care notes and they can see the visits, and they've got a, a, a good view onto what's happening. So that's something we've been we've been promoting. Uh, we're trying to promote that, um, trying to get that uh, a bit more. We think it's a, a real differentiator for the good care companies to say, look, we're we're delivering care to your family, and we want you to see the quality of that. We're going to yeah, open good. our records for you to come and have a look at. Um, and I think that's quite a bold thing. Uh, so, so your system is called the PASS system. Yes. And, 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 and in essence, I, I suppose it's a real-time uh, way of, of, of monitoring all this stuff. Um, it's great for the, for the, for the care worker, and, and actually it sounds like as well, you know, part of that is going to be that the, the family can actually see what's going on. It's completely transparent. Yes. And in real time. Yes. So, so as we're talking about tech stuff, let's just talk about the, the care workers. So they are used to delivering care. Um, they're not necessarily used to having a phone, a smartphone, with an app on it that has possibly changed the way they've worked for 20 years. It's doing things in a different way. It's telling them what needs to be done. They're expected to update details of that um, it, it, through the system. So they need some training and some help with that. Uh, and that's that's one of the... That's where we spend a lot of time trying to make our system easy to use. Uh, when it's not easy to use, we try and help people to understand it with the thorough training we give them at the beginning. We write a lot of articles on how to, um, you know, online if you need some help with this, that and the other. So that's something we spend a lot of time with. We've got our care workers, or I say ours, the, the care workers of the companies who are our customers. Um, they haven't bought the system. They haven't downloaded this because it's fun and they want it. It's because the, the company wants to improve the way they deliver care. And then they're sort of mandating to the uh, care and workers. minimise risk you know. and minimise risk absolutely. <coughs> uh, and they're saying to the care workers, "Here's here's the tool you're now going to use." And uh, it's a uh, it, it's it's interesting hearing some of the, the other stories, and we'll, we'll get onto Ian as well. But it's uh, some of the other technology, and I've listened to some of your other podcasts. It's people want that they they pull yeah. that because they want to get hold of it. And we have a slightly different paradigm that we're saying to care workers: "Here you are. Here's this thing. This is how things are going to be. Now this is how you're going to work." And uh, we spend a lot of time trying to make that easy for people. Yeah, making they can they they, they can use it till its full potential. Mm. And and uh, there's uh, if anybody's interested uh, and and uh, is in that world and, and is interested in using this system, uh, there's a very good video actually um, on how Pass system works. And I presume you can just um, type this into Google, but it's at Vimeo, so uh, Vimeo.com. And if you um, Google or oh, Google, put in a search <laughs> terms Pass system. <laughs> I'm using Google as a verb more and more. Well, yeah. That's um, what they like. Th then um, that will really um, that will really show you how it works, mm. and um, it has been recommended by NHS England, so so it is the way to go. Absolutely, so. absolutely. Yeah. The 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 the, uh, the market is still a little bit in its infancy, probably sure. three three years old yeah. or so, and people are still learning. 
but um, there's huge, huge potential there to improve care across yeah, the whole of the UK. Definitely. Um, we're going to have a little break now. So thank you to David Rain of Early Life Technologies. Um, it's Every Life Technologies. Oh, so. yeah, of course it is. That's me being a bit <laughs> dyslexic there. Sorry about that. Um, and we're going to uh, speak to Ian after the break of um, Switchy. So we'll come back to you in a minute. You've joined us at a very good time. Oh, yeah. Yes. Our savvy software development guys have just qualified for a chunky government cash payout thanks to our new friends from Breakthrough Funding. Yeah, sorry, that just slipped out. Government handout? No, not a handout, but recognition for our clever thinking. Now it'll be down to you to help us kick it further forward. Leave it to me. Your company could qualify for Innovation Cash too. Find out online now by answering just six qualifying questions at BreakthroughFunding.com. Yeah! So we're uh, back on the Tech Talk show and I'm sitting next to Ian Napier, who's Chief Commercial Officer of Switchy Limited. Before we go on to uh, Switchy, you used to be, are you still a Royal Marine Reservist? No, I, I'm not still. I was uh, for about four years. What does that mean? What would you do? So At the weekends, trot off and uh, uh, shoot exactly. people? Exactly. Not shoot people, no. Okay. Um, <laughs> things, things have gone very ra- badly wrong if, mm. if, if people get shot at weekends. <laughs> Um, no, so I, indeed. Um, so I, I kind of as a kid, I'd always wanted to be a soldier um, and thought quite hard about joining the army or, or, or maybe the, the navy after university and didn't for a number of reasons. Um, and then a few years into my career, uh, a few friends of mine joined the reserve forces. So you could either be in the TA or the Marine Reserves and thought it sounded like an exciting, interesting thing to do. So signed up and spent about takes about two years to kind of get through basic training to earn your your, your green lid, as it's referred to, um, and then spent two years as a as a member of RMR London, Royal Marines Reserve London. So, exactly as you described, it involves going away at the weekend and, and being shouted at a lot and running up and down <laughs> hills a lot and getting cold and wet. But um, something that I I. I I enjoyed a lot of my friends thought it's quite a weird thing to do at weekends but um, I, so, I got so, out of it. So, and what is the point of the reservists well that's a very good question i mean with i always the, think of dad's army but that's really unfair yeah no i mean yeah <laughs> well I, I be careful what i say actually because my other marines won't, won't thank me for, for admitting mm. to that but um no i think um you, <coughs> on a personal level it's it's quite an exciting thing to do uh, to go away and do training and it's an opportunity to do things you wouldn't do as a civilian um, from a sort of country perspective with cuts in defence forces, actually the reserves are becoming more and more important as a effectively cheaper way of having a fighting force. Um, because that's on the, call. So that's on call, yeah. I mean, you know, the, the trade-off is that, um, and this was made very clear to us by the regular Marines when we went to go and train with them, that you're very much a second-class citizen. I mean, you're not, full, oh, you're not, you're not full-time. Um, and no. actually the... the um, the way that also the, the symbol for the Marines is the is the commando dagger, and the reservists are known as rubber daggers in the. Uh, it's a bit unfair. unfair. Um, but actually, the well, I, I never deployed, but colleagues of mine from my troop did deploy. And actually, once you go through your build-up training and you become part of the regular forces, which is how the RMR works, they um, they, they they integrated very well, and the feedback was was, was mm. pretty good. Yeah. And as somebody who's steeped in tech, you know your your observations as, as a reservist is is. I mean, you know, we see all these films now that if you if you really want to terrorise anybody, mm. um, then actually terrorising them using tech is probably much more, you know, devastating well, I mean, than, than than running around, you know, as as people trying to do things physically. But in, it, it, indeed, is, is, yeah. is there a lot of tech steeped into 
into the forces? um, I think from friends of mine who are still serving, there is a real appetite to to, uh, integrate. And actually, we were talking earlier about how large organizations struggle to innovate. Um, A particular friend of mine is is kind of trying to kind of... uh, come to a, an effective way of bringing technology innovation into the, into the, in actually specifically into the army. Um, increasing there is obviously a, a, a role for not, not just tech, but you know, specifically cyber warfare, and there's also been a lot of coverage about, about that recently. So I think it's, it's definitely a direction of travel, and I think sort of philosophically it's an interesting question from a soldier's perspective, which is well, what's my role in this, in this kind of rapidly developing world? But there, I think there will always need to be... Um, to use the kind of... You can always need some physical presence, Boots I'm on sure. the ground, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm writing a piece about for Forbes about I was gonna um, say, what, autonomous what? drones, and I tell you what, some of that stuff will make your hair really? fall out. It is terrifying. As in, but, give um, us an example. Well, as in a drone that you don't... that uh, works on its own, so human deploys it, but human does not pull trigger. And that's what they're arguing about in Geneva and lots of other places at the moment to basically figure out what is the legality of those, you know. Drones have been used in warfare for decades, right? Of course right? they have. Well, pigeons were the first drones, really. Okay. Right, very <laughs> well, no, 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 if you think about it, I mean, people using airborne uh, things in order to transmit messages or do things. You know? Yes, yes. Yeah. I mean, they've got a bit more lethal than then, haven't they? Uh, yes, you know, they've only got have. one way on that spectrum. Obviously. Um, yeah, less lethal. But it's this remote, a use of a remote thing in order to, 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 to help you. Yeah. So at the moment, you've got um, various types and that sort of thing. But the, the real worry now is that. Drones have become so sophisticated that you could um, drop chemicals, you could attach guns to and that sort of stuff. And they're very quiet, you know, a lot of them. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I've seen drones used for a lot of good, though. I mean, we Absolutely. in our oh, company, I mean, you know, they, we've seen them used for, you know, for, for feeding people, for, mm-hmm. for, for dropping water, you know, for doing all sorts of stuff. So, of course, it's like any tech. It's the way, the way we use it, yeah. isn't it? Um, One of the biggest um, growth areas for uh, African startups at the moment and um, other sort of uh, similarly challenged areas is uh, dropping medicine. Mm. And they're saying you could spend billions on roads and they would get washed away and all of that sort of thing. But if you think the air is not really going anywhere, you can absolutely have mu- and much more precision mm. on dropping the drugs in the right areas. Because half of the time you drop drugs in those areas um, via different methods and they either smash on impact uh people steal them <coughs> and that sort of stuff so really half those people are funding bad things to happen yeah. in that area so yeah. it's very difficult and cyber warfare are you saying much about that yeah loads of that speaking with um people at gcsq <laughs> and um i always get it wrong the national center for cyber security yeah. cs mm-hmm. cs um acronym 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 but um yeah increasingly um we as a nation taking it very very seriously and loads of startups in that um arena for sure really interesting um development Developments coming out, some from grassroots and some government um, sponsored, but um, definitely an area where, uh, you know, with the news about Facebook and everything like that, that's very open and overt. But there are lots of covert things as well that sort of go on, mm. which we are, we don't get so much um, visibility in, which I think is even more important. And, and glad that we do have those things in yeah. place, you know, lots that's of countries true. don't. So, Ian, going back to, you've obviously been a Royal Marine Reservist, but going back to what you're doing now, you're, you're working at Switchy. Um, and the thing is, uh, fuel poverty is a real issue, isn't it? Huge uh, issue, yeah. Uh, uh, and if we look at some statistics, um, 11% of households are in fuel poverty. Yeah. Now, there's quite there's quite a number of reasons for that. One could be household income's low. Correct. So the actual definition of fuel poverty is low income, high cost. So it's um, having a low income and then a high cost of, of energy. Um, and that's calculated by the government on, on, a, on a national basis every year. Um, I mean... 
so that's one aspect, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Perhaps, you know, not having much money in, in the household. Mm -hmm. uh, the other one is fuel costs. So fuel Correct. costs fluctuate yeah. and then sometimes they're really expensive mm -hmm. and that, that can force people into into mm -hmm. that bracket, can't it? So that's that's correct. I mean, actually, it's a it's a statistical definition um, that what, what we're really trying to identify in a bit more detail is people who are unable to afford to heat their homes um, and identify those homes, help them manage their energy within the home more efficiently. Um, so we're making a, 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 a reduction in fuel poverty, but also specifically targeting families who can't afford to. So if somebody's fuels. somebody's got a low household income, and the fuel costs, you know, uh, feel very high for them and and mm -hmm. are, um, and therefore they are struggling to um, heat their property, um, presumably correct, mostly, yeah. uh, and 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 that you know is a real is a real problem, um, and what you're saying is you can't for what you're doing you can't really do much about the household income you can't do much about the fuel no. costs and therefore can we help those people um be more efficient about they the way they manage their fuel um to, to help them through this is that, is that's, that that's that right? exactly it so what what we've built is a smart thermostat so think of um one piece of our technology is like a nest or a hive if you've if you've mm -hmm. heard of those um but rather than a consumer product that you would go and buy yourself and install in your home our customer is the social landlord so we sell to housing associations or to local authorities who then give their residents this piece of technology. It goes on the wall um, and then our objective is to within, in fact we do it within about three weeks to learn the pattern of occupancy within that within that home. We also learn how the heating system performs and with those two pieces of information we can then automatically regulate the heating and effectively switch the, the heating off when it's not required. Um, so what you're doing then, so, uh, you know, I have that stuff at home, I, mm -hmm. I manage my own because I know when I'm there, when I'm not, when I'm on holiday, yeah. you know, whatever. What you're saying here is that, that you're, the reason yours is different is actually you do that managing for them. What, what One of the kind of thoughts we had was that people find thermostatic controls and their thermostat and programmers inherently quite boring. So, or, or they don't want to set them. So yeah, I think I can agree with that. <laughs> I'm not arguing. <laughs> <laughs> no one has challenged me on that. Yeah. Um, so what what we're doing is for for for, and actually the, the thing you realise with with any business is you have an idea, you test it. As you said earlier, it's important to un identify the problem. Of course, when you go and install technology in people's homes, you realise that you can't model for human behaviour. Everyone uses their heating in a slightly different way. So there are people who do keep, do keep a very close control on their heating um, and are underheating their homes, and we identify that, and there are other, other kind of associated problems with that we can talk about. But for a significant percentage of the, the, the market we're dealing, people just don't use their heating properly. So there's some quite low-hanging fruit that we can, we, can, um, we can go after, and just simply by turning the heating off when they're not there. So, so, down a bit. so you sort of learn their household's weekly routine, uh, yep. uh, and in a way, you don't you, you don't really need their engagement much. Um, and and what you can do is compare energy usage with neighbouring properties. Exactly. So you can get a really good feel for it. Sure. Um, sure. You're not just switching it off and they're getting home and it's blooming freezing. And no, <laughs> it's like, no. You know, it's, it's a bit more sophisticated. It's, it's, it's important that people are comfortable as well. Um, but if I if I take a step back, I mean I've described one half of the product, which is the hardware that, that the social landlords say um, Greenwich Council or Peabody would buy and install in their properties. But what we also do, with the residents' permission, is look at the data that we're collecting in each home, anonymise it, and then provide the landlord with insights so they can understand either fuel poverty or underheating or other asset management um, problems in in their properties and the problem we're identifying and going after there is that these are organizations who own 
tens of thousands of homes. Yeah. They're very, very big. So Peabody's recently merged with another organization. They've got 54,000 properties. A lot of these properties are not particularly well constructed. Um, uh, or sorry, they're dated or they've got certain asset management challenges. Obviously, they're working hard to, to kind of build better new homes. So what we can do is we can provide them not only with a, an effective tool to help combat fuel poverty, to reduce energy bills for their residents, which is a strategic objective of a lot of these organizations. The other thing that we can do is, is with the correct data permissions, we can provide them with insights over problems uh, in, in their homes so they can manage and so look so after the So that could be properties. like insulation, for example. Poor insulation, yeah. or we, we do a lot of work with one housing association around detecting mold remotely, so getting in early to fix the problem. Because if you fix the problem before it escalates, um, it's cheaper. <laughs> cheaper, and and also it, it's you know there's a there's a I've been into a couple of properties where there's been black mold all over the wall. It's really quite shocking. So there's yeah. a huge health Im imperative as well to sort that yeah. problem out early. Do but, you give but, that data to anyone like the NHS or anything like that? So at the moment, and and uh, we we touched on GDPR earlier. We've got to be very careful about data permissions and who we can and can't pass the data onto. Mm -hmm. As a business. Um, we, we're very clear that A, we have to let the residents know what we're doing and why we're doing it, primarily to save them money. B, that we won't pass the data on to third parties. So it's definitely not for marketing purpose or anything like that. But black mould obviously could save a life. Indeed, so. indeed. And, and actually the, the thing that we're, we're beginning to kind of start to think about is how we tie up um, the role of the housing association <coughs> or council and their sort of obligations to look after residents more widely mm. with either CCGs or local NHS trusts. So you're right on mould. Also, particularly given the cold weather at the moment, just people being cold, cold and having yeah. unheated it can cause serious health complications or, or even worse. Uh, so a lot of the work that we do is, is highlighting people who are under, underheating their homes um, and just providing information to allow better interventions to be made mm. and again this is this is mostly for sort of councils or, or um you know registered social landlords or whatever yeah, correct, who are yeah. managing huge numbers of properties correct, i mean yeah. it must give them it must have been really valuable data because in essence what they're doing is, is again they're reducing ri their risk aren't they mm -hmm. it, uh, but also it's it's helping them be more efficient so in the long run presumably it's going to save them money mm. not not just the resident absolutely that's that's the idea I and mean, the idea is we save residents and, and landlords money Mm. And and um, in terms of of the actual box itself, um, mm -hmm. I've got these. I, I live in a new home; it's like two years old, and I've got these these things on the wall. I haven't got a clue how they work. I mean, <laughs> I've spent ages, you know, and I do think I'm fairly tech literate. Um, it's important. Perhaps we should get you a switchy. Yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> um, but I think it's important that these things are intuitive and Indeed. easy to use. And yeah. I know you spent quite a lot of time, haven't you, in in making these easy and intuitive for, for, for absolutely somebody. i mean the 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 insights so there are four founders um uh, myself and three others uh one of our founders had worked for two housing associations so he 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 saw the challenges you get as a landlord of getting residents to to use technology properly and some will some won't mm. so the first thing we've done is we built a technology that can be passive so residents if they choose not to interact with their thermostats they've got they better things to do to, yeah. they don't have to but the second design i think that's, that's all residents They've got better things to do. Well, maybe, maybe not. Let's get rid quite, of this quite problem. A few. Um, yep. And then, and then the second thing we do is, as you've as you mentioned, Sue, is we made the design, the interface. It's a, it's a touch screen, a color touch screen. It's really simple, and it's designed not to need a complex instruction manual because mm. people just tend not to read them. I don't. <laughs> do you not? I'm, I'm not. 
Well, I do. Uh, I, I do and I, I don't. Yeah. I only revert to manual if it actually intuitively I can't. I can't get to understand. That's the goal. It. Isn't and it? then if you have I a mean, manual, then it's too difficult. Oh, that's what know, I think. Yeah. That's what I think. Um, so, um, really important work, I think. Yeah. Um, Ian, and and you're enjoying it. I mean, you must feel like you're making an impact, social impact. Loving it. I mean, it's been it's been quite a hard road for us. Um, uh, we're now three and a half years in, and it's it's we're just through sort of pilots and early kind of commercial proof of concept phase and now starting to put significant numbers of units in. So the data and the, the impact we can have is really starting to grow. Yeah. And as you get more of that data, you're, you're learning more and Indeed. more, aren't you? Yeah. So if any of you are interested, it's um, Switchy, which is switch with double E, and that's .co. So switchy.co, that information will be on our website anyway. Um, I really like that, Paul. I think it's good. Yeah. I mean, there's loads good of these show. things, Hive and all that sort of stuff on the market, but I do think this is different. Yeah, well, the first two that you describe are obviously um, consumer, aren't they? Straight to yeah, consumer. Absolutely. This, I think, takes it a little bit differently. And, and um, good for people who are vulnerable. Yeah, and I think the trouble is with Nest and that is they're still a whacking great chunk of money, mm. aren't they? They yeah. might save you in the long run, but a lot of these people would never probably spend that sort of mm. money on that if they're that fuel pov um, poverty sure. and that sort of thing. So it's mm. great that the um, everyone's getting on board with that. So thank you very much, Ian of Switchy. Um, David, uh, Every Life Technologies, which for some reason I keep calling early life, but Every Life Technologies, um, good luck with that. Um, thank you. It's going along swimmingly. It by the is sound going of swimmingly, it. yes, Excellent. very well. Good, good, good. And again, stuff on our, our website. And um, Tim Sadler of Tessian, I hope that's all going to go well. Thank you. I think I might need it in my business <laughs> to make sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Never we'll, sort, we'll sort you out with some licenses. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you very much. Um, you've been listening to the Tech Talk Show. Uh, we're syndicated dozens of radio stations, as you all know. Thank you to my fellow presenter, Paul Armstrong, author of Disruptive Technologies. Learned a few things today, as usual, have you? Yeah, always good to meet interesting, smart people. Mm, exactly. Um, if you want to recommend any future guests, someone doing something groundbreaking in the tech sector, please get in touch with us via Twitter on at TechTalkShowUK. Or if you want to listen to any of our hundreds of podcasts or link to the guys we've had on the show today, go to techtalkshow.co.uk. I hope you have a good week. Bye.